You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thengball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 27 of the Community Pulse. Uh, I'm PJ Haggerty. I'm here with Jason and Mary. Say hi, everybody. Hey. Hi, everybody. And uh, this week we have our special guest to talk about content. Lorna, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Oh, hello. I'm Lorna. I'm a software engineer. I also write, I speak. So I'm in a new job. So I'm a developer advocate with Nexmo. Um, I'm based in the north of England. So UK, but not London, which can be a hard concept for some people. (laughs) Um, Heathrow is, is not my nearest airport. Um, and I just love to share the technology that I love with other people and then like just step back and watch what they build. Right on. And uh, part of the reason why uh, Lorna's joining us is because a little while ago we said, you know, hey, people, you know, we're doing this, this podcast and, and what would be interesting content. And she was one of the first people to jump up and say, I would love to talk about content and the difficulties of content and the easy parts of content. Um, and so we thought this would be a great opportunity with, you know, part of the dev advocate lifestyle is, is content creation. Like everyone thinks it's just glorious trips to beautiful locations and, and sunny vistas and first class upgrades. And in reality, like a lot of the time we're on planes writing content uh, or in airports writing content. And uh, first I think, you know, uh, the first question we have up is kind of, you know, what, what exactly is content? What types of content are we talking about here? Is it just, blog posts or documentation or white papers or what do you think about content Laura what do you, what are you really thinking about it, it can be all kinds of things and I think often a single idea can spin out in a bunch of different formats so it's really unusual for me to for example give a conference talk that doesn't spin out mm, at least one github repository couple of blog posts maybe for different places because employers have a different take on what people need to know than me uh, so usually you'll get the, here's a lovely project you can do with our product and I think you'll enjoy it. And then if you look on all the Jane.net, there's like 200 words on how to fix this setting with this tool. So it's like, do this with curl, 200 right. words, gone. So it's, it's, a, it's, a real, it's a real variety. I've also worked with like um, some video content. I'm new to writing like serious documentation. Next one have pretty excellent documentation. So I'm getting a really good... Uh, kind of onboarding with with that practice but it's all the same kind of process where you need to think about the context of the person it's for and then like tell the story in a way they can hear you right and that, I mean that kind of goes along with what you're saying because you start with a you start with a talk and you're up on on stage and, and a lot of times those talks are, are recorded uh so you already have your, there's your video content knocked out of the way. But when you break that talk down to, to be a blog post, it's going to have a different voice. You're going to use different, you know, different formatting, different, excuse me, ter- terminology. And then if you're going to try to, you know, bring that into a podcast or do a tutorial with it, again, you're adjusting it to more of a step-by-step basis. So do you find it's, it's interesting when, you know, you've picked this idea and, and, and who even knows where that came from, but you pick this idea out of the air. And then suddenly you have four different forms of, of content around this idea that you had that you're not even sure where it came from. Yeah, it can be super interesting. And sometimes, like, I think a lot of the content that you do is quite uh, conference-driven, um, whereas I'm speaking less and less. 
and, and focusing more on that kind of digital reusable content. And it just can be quite interesting that this, last year I was using the same sample app for a talk about cues and another talk about, I think, webhooks. And, at, and it was at multiple language specialist conferences as well. But it was the same code, same sample app, same idea, same overall diagram. Um, and it spawned a few blog posts as well. So sometimes you kind of start off thinking you know which talk it is <laughs> you're going to give. And a, a year later, you are giving the talk you should have been giving. Um, or you eventually write the tutorial or, or you kind of, someone asks you a question that just illustrates what it is that you have never really explained about an idea. Um, so the more that you kind of mix with people, the more that your content evolves. We actually, so I just finished redeploy. It was last Thursday, Friday. And we actually had a speaker who on their way down to the conference had like an epiphany about their talk and was like, okay, I need to rewrite this section and change where this section lands and like completely refactor my talk because this is what was missing the whole time. And so they got off the plane and I got a Twitter DM from them and they were like, I don't know if I'm making the speaker dinner because I need to refactor my talk and then I need to practice it because I've been giving this talk a handful of times and it's always bugged me a little bit, but like, this is why it was bugging me. They're like, now I have to go fix it. My talk is, is tomorrow. I have to go fix it. Like, this okay. is why it bothers me whenever a conference wants your your deck like uh, a week or two or whatever in advance. It's like a lot of the best ideas come at the very last minute on how you can address your content to the crowd. You know, once you have a better idea who you're going to be talking to. So sorry to get off on the music. I had to butt in on that. No, but I mean, it's the same way with writing, right? Like when I was finishing up the book, there were a couple different times where, you know, I'm not really happy with the way that this chapter is flowing. I'm not really happy with the way that this particular set of content is, is going. And you have a conversation with someone who's confused about that very thing. And you go, oh, okay, hang on. Let me go rewrite that. And I have lost track of the number of times that I went back to my editor and was like, can I still, can I still rewrite this? And they're finally just like, just let us know when it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, I definitely had that, like banging my head against the wall because a talk just felt like really hard work. Like I was having to turn the handle really, really hard to get content to come out the other end. But if you like tip it up sideways and shake it, then, oh, suddenly, yeah, uh, yeah, I have it. Um, it rarely happens at the last minute for me because I might be the world's most anxious speaker, even now, 10 years in. So if it's not like, perfect, finished, well-rehearsed, polished, tried on some people who didn't pay to see it with two weeks to go, then I basically can't give the talk because I'm so convinced that I'm not well-prepared enough. So yeah. it's kind of like, if I think I'm ready, it'll be fine. If I think I'm not, it, it usually it isn't. Um, so I tend to be really, really well-prepared. And I joke that you could like stand me in front of slides from how many years ago, and I probably would just unpack the same talk from all the rehearsal. So that's actually an interesting segue. Um, we talk a lot, or at least I've talked a lot in the past with marketing teams about evergreen content and the difference between like, this piece of content is necessary right now because we have this change coming and these things happening and this announcement needs to be made versus, you know, someone can go back to the blog three years from now and see a piece of content about a sample app that like, if they still have that current version of your software, or your API downloaded, still runs, still works, is still something that they can walk through. Um, I've, I've seen 
a couple companies handle it a handful of ways where all of those announcements and things like that go in like a press release room or a, a separate, a whole separate site on their main parent site. Um, and then the evergreen content and things like that go on the blog. Does your, do the companies that you've worked for or does Nexmo kind of segment things in that same way? Or what would you, what do you recommend? What do you see? Yeah, no, I think this is absolutely a thing. So the most popular post on LaunaJane.net, which is my personal blog, which I've had for years and years and years, um, it's from 2011. It's like, I, w I was quite interesting in 2000, uh, 2008 was also a good year um, for, <laughs> for content. I haven't really been that interesting since. Um, and I think I've seen a few different approaches. Like it's really important that every piece of content has a date on it. And then it, you can decide for yourself. If I'm looking up how to do a thing with curls, to the best of my knowledge, curls uh, switches haven't changed a lot in the last 10 years, so no big deal. If I'm looking it up for some Node.js thing, well, that's changed quite a lot. Five years is too old. Mm -hmm. So um, the date is the most key thing you can do because I think your audience then will know what's going on. And Nextmo, we tag things with like, whether it's developer content or business content, um, but the stuff that we use all the time is typically in our documentation and kind of surfaced on the blog rather than only on the blog. Yeah, you know, you, you bring up a kind of an interesting point or maybe a funny um, problem I've seen happen is that some of the most, uh, I guess, sought after content or just what's getting the most traffic, what's really like driving attention to the company is something that's pretty old and maybe irrelevant at this point. And so you as the author wants to go in there and remove it, take it down, but uh, like marketing is tracking that kind of stuff. And they're totally aware that even though this is like a five-year-old blog post that it doesn't have anything to do with how the product or whatever works today, it's still driving in traffic. And so right. you have these like competing incentives between marketing and then you as an author or an advocate. Have you gotten into any um, scenarios where you have to figure out ways to work kind of across different parts of the organization, whether it's marketing or sales, and maybe they've got some kind of competing incentives from what, not necessarily the updating of content, but just maybe what types of content you, you think needs to get out there. I think the types of content is something that we're all in agreement on. Um, some of the more marketing driven areas can be um, really keen on content or really keen on a specific schedule. I work on a team of developer advocates. We're all traveling. We're all, you know, at the mercy of plenty of other stuff, not to mention that we write a bunch of product documentation. So when things release, um, we can't always immediately ship thorough and accurate product documentation and a load of like more um, social faced content. So um, we can be quite, it can be quite difficult to meet all of those requirements, but on the whole, I find, you know, I've been a blogger for a long time. And we've always just said content is king. And I think that has to be it. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And it doesn't matter if it's exactly seven days since the last post, as long as the content is genuine and useful to the people you want to reach, then you should try and do it that way. And most teams will work with you on that. And that, that actually brings up another interesting question, which is kind of the original thing that we talked about to get onto the, con, onto the, onto the podcast here. Uh, the idea that, so, I mean, we're, we're lucky. I think the four of us are all lucky. We're, we're technical people who are pretty good at producing content. 
but sometimes you're in an organization where you have to work with someone who isn't. Um, I know I've had several situations where people are like, oh, so-and-so is the head of engineering. They have this great idea and this great concept, but they don't have the time to write a blog post. How do you kind of pull those teeth? How do you kind of like yank that out to get somebody who may be either reluctant to produce content or frankly just doesn't have the time? How do you work with someone like that? Yeah, and it can really depend. Sometimes it's reluctant. Sometimes it's not confident particularly for non-native speakers, like I'm a native English speaker, which puts me in a massive position of privilege in the technical world. Absolutely. Um, and engineers often just think that they are not writers. The best ones, of course, are. But um, some, some of them haven't realized that yet. Mm -hmm. So um, I will usually accept a list of bullet points and then do my best with it. Like if you throw a GitHub repository and explain a thing to me, I'm going to start with a Slack conversation turn it into a blog post and when the, that engineer reads that blog post hopefully they will learn how they could write their own blog post next time because it's all recognizable that you know i'm not adding anything special and then, and then you have the other side of it where you have someone from marketing who might be great at creating content but they don't feel like and 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 i hate this term but when people say oh i'm not technical it's like you, you work at a, a startup or a large organization that produces tech you must be technical in some way or you wouldn't be here. Um, but how do, you, how do you almost say like, listen, you've got great chops and we think it'd be great if you wrote this blog post. Do you try to bring like people like you, people who are great writers and people who are very technical but don't have the time or don't have the inclination, do you try to bring those, those groups together at all? Or, or are you always the mediator? It depends. I've often been, yeah, I've often been the person in the middle, um, you know, because I have contact with both departments is the joy of advocacy is we're just here in the middle. Like I chat the support, it's such a product, you know, we're close with marketing. Um, we do know the engineers, so we're, we're sort of in the mix. Um, and I think the ideas that come out of marketing, especially if they don't necessarily have the, like you say, the technical chops to back it up and write a full on tutorial. Um, we can, you know, dangle this idea in front of an engineer and tell them, oh, I wonder if it would be hard. And all engineers will be like, I could do that. And then they <laughs> ship it and then, well, hey, we're done. Um, right. It, as far I as think, shipping it, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think one of the interesting things like you were saying is just making it clear that it's not as difficult as it seems sometimes, right? Because like you look at a finished product sometimes and people go, uh, I can't do that. And so more often than not, I'll sit down with someone and go, cool. Tell me how this started. Now write that down. Okay. Tell me where you are now. Cool. Write that down. Yeah. Where do you want to be in the future? Cool. Write that down too. And then how would someone do this themselves? And by the time we get through that, it's like, okay, cool. I can take a look at it and give it a quick copy at it and make sure that it highlights the correct words and pulls in the right things and has the right company voice, but it's the engineer's voice that it starts with. And then they can, in the future can go through and go, okay, Beginning, middle, and future. Awesome. I can do that, right? Well, I think there's also I think there's also this this mythological thing of people who aren't content creators or not commonly content creators that we as contract creators like I, I I've talked to people like it must be so amazing to be able to sit down and just write a thirty minute talk. It's like that is not in any way how that works. <laughs> not, not, you're not even close. It must be so great to sit down for an hour and write a blog post. It's like, I'm not Jack Kerouac. That's not possible. Like, that's not a thing I can do. 
Um, you you might write like, the first draft in an hour. Yeah, yeah, but that's not. It's and then not go like back to it three or four times, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's there's there's this mythos. I mean, actually, now that I think about it, between our ability to create content, write talks at the drop of a hat, and travel the world, like we really are gods that walk the earth in the tech world. <laughs> like we must be. Oh Pretty boy! Pretty good gig if you can get it. <laughs> right. If you can. So, keep it. <laughs> so Lorna, you talked about you know get it to a point where you can just ship it. Once it's ready to kind of you know get out into the world. What, uh, what advice do you have in terms of distri distributing it? Like, where do you like to put all your content so it gets maximum eyeballs? <laughs> I am totally the wrong person to ask about this. Um, <laughs> like I don't tweet my blog posts. So uh, yeah, I should, I should, I should, I should find out more about that. I mean, I think <laughs> this is where we also have to, to learn, right? This, <laughs> this podcast we, we've heard about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's a difficult thing. And the answer is, of course, it depends. So, you know, if I've written like a really JavaScript heavy thing, there are some sites that I might mention it to. Um, I've been in the PHP space for a while. So something that goes out on my blog gets syndicated to the PHP. We still have those planet things. Um, well, they're mostly white, seem to be wired up to Twitter accounts. So it's fine. Um, and I think that's important, but I think content really is about the long tail you know, it's about seeing a Stack Overflow question that makes you go, oh, yeah, no, I've seen this somewhere, whether it's on my blog or somewhere else or the company's blog. Um, you know, that we know the content is there. And, and I like to think that people who need it will find it. Um, I'm, perhaps I'm, my marketing department will phone me up and shout <laughs> now. But I, it's it, the promotion, the post after I've pressed publish, definitely a weak point for me. Okay. Well, and it's, that's hard, right? Because depend, like you said, depending on the post depends on where it's going to be a good fit. And we don't always know what the right places are and you don't always know what the right fits are. And there's some people who swear by medium and I have had next to no luck there. And there's some people who swear by dev.2, which has been more successful with tech posts, but then those are mostly tech posts, but then sometimes, you know, non-technical posts do well there as well. But knowing why something isn't doing well and why it is doing well is is a black box sometimes uh there's a client that i'm actually working with right now that we're kind of going through some of their old content and trying to match patterns and things through there and we had a meeting yesterday it was like cool here's here's the top five posts from what you used to post back in the day and he was like yeah but that one's only a top post because so and so has a really good network and that one's only a top post because you know, they sent it to this other crew and their employees all liked the post. And this one's really crappy content and I have no idea why that one's in the top five. And so, you know, it's one of those things where depending on who you're talking to, depending on who wrote the post, depending on who else is sharing it, it might completely skew your metrics. And so it takes us kind of back to vanity metrics talks that we've done in the past where like, eh, traffic is fine likes are fine shares are fine but it doesn't necessarily give you the answers that you're looking for i think that's that's the biggest problem with with content metrics especially because i you know i used to i one of the companies i used to work for i would you know we published a post and it would be like hey we're going to be at this conference so awesome and tons of people would read that that's that's garbage that's fluff con content that's that's just a bit of an advertisement to let you know people know where we're going to be 
Well, being um, technical people, we kind of know how, how people can game all of those things. Absolutely. We've, yeah. We've heard stories about, Hey, share this and have everybody else share it and, you know, try to make it go a little mini viral. And then we also, we know how bots work. So it's, it's, oh, pretty, yeah. we're way too cynical to accept those types of met metrics. As time goes on too, it, it becomes, you know, more and more prevalent that, that people can leverage things in ways that, that are maybe less than above board. That was about as gentle as I can make that. <laughs> <laughs> pretty diplomatic, I'm impressed. So yeah. this leads me to an interesting question though. So if, if we know that people can game the system and we know that things can go viral just because one person shares it, not because it's necessarily the best content we've ever written, how do we know now, not four years from now when you can go, or seven years from now when you can go, my post from 2011 is still doing really, really well. How do we know now what content is good and what content is relevant and whether it's a good topic, but it was poorly written or it was a terrible topic, but well-written and happened to be about blockchain. And so it hit everywhere on the web, right? Like realistically, how do we know what's, what's good and what's not? Yeah, I think this is a really tricky one. And sometimes content is more like an offering you put it out there, maybe you try a few different things and you see which communities like it, which formats work, but you have to put out quite a lot of content to start to draw meaningful conclusions from that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the only thing that I've ever really given much weight to at all is if it, if it generates more discussion, if it either generates something in the comments, if you've got a comments section for it, or if it generated a uh, conversation on Twitter, or any place, I guess, if people are talking about it, that seems like, I don't know how you measure it, but that's more, that's more important to me than like how many likes or retweets or whatever. Right, I think one of the, uh, one of the things that we did at uh, one of the companies I worked at is we, we used to have uh, discuss or something like that at the bottom of the blog and no one participated. But we found that when we actually moved it off of there and we were publishing the post to like three different subreddits on Reddit and then on the site called Lobsters, suddenly we're getting really good and positive discussion. And some of it was around the content, but some of it was also like, you know, oh, I really like the fact that these people publish content every Tuesday, Thursday, or they, you know, I know that I can get up on Friday and there's going to be two blog posts waiting for me, stuff like that. Like, so we learned a lot about our actual process, not just the content we were creating, but the process that we're using to create the content. And I think that's a, it's a rarity. I feel like a lot of times people just consume silently what we're what we're producing as content and the feedback loop unlike you know when you go out and give a conference talk a lot of times there's immediate feedback if they didn't clap chances are you didn't do too well um but that also that's a cultural thing we could have a whole other episode about that um but yeah like it's it's interesting to to think about it's not just about the content being created and put out there in the world we in some way you, you've let your baby go and you have no idea what they're going to do now you know, they're walking a road that you can't supervise. Um, and, and what do you do when, when it comes down to, and I've had this happen, so I know my answer, but when, you, when you're out in the world and someone comes up to you and goes, wow, I read that blog post you wrote and it was crap. And you're like, what? <laughs> my response- the feedback? Yeah, my response is thanks for the feedback. What made it crap? Why was it bad? Um, and it just turned out the person had a differing opinion on what I had written about. And I was like, you know, you have a totally valid opinion. It would have been great to discuss this online so other people could see it and get value from this conversation. 
also think about your delivery when you talk to somebody about <laughs> creating. <laughs> but that kind, of thing has, as well. <laughs> that kind of thing is what kept me away from like, there's still basically no opinion pieces on my blog. Like I'm a really established blogger. There's no reason that I shouldn't say what I think on the internet. Um, but do you know what? I just don't want to argue with people, like whatever. So you'll typically find that my blog is, is about obscure PHP functions that I found and need to be able to find again. Um, it's like where I keep the rest of my brain storage. Uh, Google can find it for me. I regularly find hits on my own blog, which is just the most rewarding thing ever. Um, <laughs> and if other people read it, well, you're welcome, but it's not really what it's for. Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point. I feel like every week I see somebody come back to Twitter that got off Twitter or whatever <laughs> because they just felt like, you know, they got kind of abused a little bit. They got bullied for something, for saying what they felt, uh, right or wrong. They, they felt very strongly about something. And so you see people kind of have to uh, avoid that for a little bit um, and then come back. I think it's, uh, I don't know, I think it's something that we, we often know that we, we need to be out there putting out good content really bring being like our true self, but eventually somebody's going to disagree with us and there's a lot of nastiness out there. Um, and so we, we have to kind of expose ourselves uh, a little bit to, to the, you know, like PJ said, you know, putting out this child out there and it's hard on us to just like say, this is me. This is, this is what I think. This is how I feel. And then sure enough, somebody's going to come, you know, come after that. Well, and I think part of the hard thing for those of us who are in developer relations, community building that like we put an opinion piece out there and someone disagrees, depending on who that someone is, they can take down our entire career. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not even just, okay, someone disagreed. I got some crappy feedback that doesn't feel great, which is a completely valid thing as well. But it's also, there's a huge part of our personal reputation that's wrapped up in our careers. And so if someone comes along with an opinion piece and says, you're wrong. Here's why you're a terrible, horrible person because of saying these things, no matter what your intent was, like that's, that's your online reputation. And Ooh. for those of us who depend on that for our livelihood, that's a problem. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was, it was definitely, I mean, cause you and I, Mary, like we're kind of in a different situation now where we're out there by ourselves kind of doing this thing. Um, whereas I, I think I was much less, uh, reserved with my mouth when I was working directly for a company. Um, I think that like, you know, now my opinions are a little more tapered because it could mean that the next client that comes along sees something that I've said and they're like, oh, he's kind of an asshole. And yes, I can be. Um, <laughs> Nobody was gonna say that. We've, we've all, we've all <laughs> met me. We've all met each, you know, we know it's true. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, it's interesting to see like the more content, I think the more content you produce, whether that be written content or, or speaking engagements or just tweets, the more likely you are to have someone come around and say, listen, I disagree with you and I'm going to try to take you down. And you have to decide how much of yourself you want to put out there. Um, and I know Jason and I talked about this a little uh, previously. Like it's, it's the same with like when you put music out into the world, you're like, oh crap, someone's going to hate this. And I think that in some ways the tech world could learn from that and realize, you know what, not everything you write is going to be a golden gem that people want to share with everyone in their organization and say, this is the best thing I've ever read. Sometimes it's not going to be very good. Not everyone can be the best every single time. I know I've tried. Uh, yeah. And, and back to like what PJ and I were talking about before, part of the, uh, part of the reason I think for doing 
just putting your stuff, your stuff out there, whether you think it's perfect or not, is that you build a little bit of a shell to, you know, kind of protect yourself from the criticism that you're going to get. You know, like I've, I've received feedback on, you know, things that I've written from people who are way smarter than me and, you know, it, it stung a little bit. And, um, but to me, it was like, that's helping me just sort of get through that pain. And then the next time it happens, it won't bother me as much because for that one person who gave me negative feedback, I had 50 who gave me positive feedback. And that's just, it, there's always going to be that thing. But I think continuously putting it out there, you know, like I was talking about putting music out and even though it's not that great, I just want to get it out there because it, it makes me, it makes me do something that's uncomfortable that makes me stronger. Yeah. And I think a lot of the criticism comes from people who are not creating. Yeah. They're judging, maybe they're mm -hmm. retweeting, but if you're, if you're curating, but not creating, then, you know, I have a little bit less time for, for your opinion. Agreed. Exactly. And then it's just finding a soft way to say that. <laughs> Thank you so much for your feedback. I appreciate it. <laughs> Full stop right there. Full stop. Just get right yeah. there. I got a, don't say anything gotta, else. You know, thing. Um, <laughs> but all right, I think we're, we're coming down to the end here. Um, so I think we're going to shift over to checkouts. If everybody's ready to do checkouts, um, we'll start with, Oh wait, Mary's at the top of the list. Did they get rewarded? I am at the top of the list. Where is the bulleted list? The bulleted list I had had Mary in the middle. <laughs> so the content, the content, I, list. the content I created for this episode oh, is not in the original intended format. That's the danger of using a collaborative document. Exactly. We could have a whole <laughs> other episode on the joys of creating content over Google Drive. Yes, indeed. Um, so we'll start with Mary. Mary, what are your checkouts today? Sure, why not? Uh, so this one popped into my head actually while we were having this conversation. Um, and I'm likely going to butcher his name, but Danielle Presida, um, I think I've mentioned his, his work before on here. Uh, he gave an awesome, awesome talk at PyCon, I think two years ago, 2016 now, um, on documentation. And basically his premise was we're all doing documentation wrong, <laughs> but the idea of, you know, having a single site on your website that is just documentation focused and just focused on that type of content when people are looking for tutorials and looking for how to's as well as an FAQ and things like that, you need to actually split those things out so that people know, cool, I go to the blog for tutorials. I go to documentation for my Q and A or for my resources um, and learning where and when to put those. Uh, so we'll put a, a link both to his PyCon talk as well as a blog post that I reference quite often um, in the show notes. Um, and then I was, Telling PJ and Jason before we started here, I was having a hard time coming up with checkouts because I normally try to put things that I'm doing outside of my day-to-day -day work. Uh, and with the conference and everything wrapping up, there hasn't been a lot of time outside of my day-to-day -day work. Um, so in, in between snippets of things when I've needed a quick like 10, 15 minute break, or I know I need to wash the dishes, but I need something else going on in the background. Um, I've been putting on World of Dance season two which I'm not a dancer, I'm, but I'm, I love watching dance and people who are good at dance. Uh, and I love the format that they have because it's actually bringing in people from all over the world, as you might guess by the name. Um, but it's, it's really well done and it doesn't have some of the uh, campiness that some of the other dance shows have. 
if I can say that. Uh, but anyways, it's a it's a really really good show. If you are even even slightly inclined towards dance shows, it's a good one to watch. Um, and then people might know this already, but Amazon Smile is a thing. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of Amazon shopping lately to to cut down on the number of errands that I have to do, which I don't like because I like supporting businesses closer by me. But anyway, uh, when I do shop on Amazon, Amazon Smile comes in handy. Um, and basically it allows you to pick a charity um, and a portion of your purchases go towards a donation to that charity every time you buy something on Amazon. So those are mine for this time. Jason, awesome. I think you're up next. All right. <clears throat> Um, let's see, what's today's day? I think I'm on like day 24 of, of uh, fun employment. So I've been doing a lot of reading. So I have, I have like three books to share, even though I've probably got like several others that I could share. But uh, these are kind of important, um, I guess, mostly because I feel like as I was going up, even though I'm on fun employment, I did go up to Microsoft, um, which is where uh, I just recently joined and went through new employee orientation. And when I got into Richmond or Richmond, when I got into Seattle, um, I, uh, had a little bit of time to kill. So I went to the, uh, like the local bookstore and got two books. Uh, the first one being, you are a badass, uh, how to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life as well as unfuckology, a field guide to living with guts and confidence. Um, and these are just, I don't know, two books that I was super nervous. I guess like you could say, as I was coming up to meet my new team and maybe suffering from a little bit of, uh, uh, imposter syndrome. So these two books jumped out at me and uh, I love them. Can't, can't recommend them enough. Some of the ones, some of them are things you read in a lot of other places, but there's some actual uh, actionable things in there too. And then the last, um, the last book I, I want to recommend is called hit refresh. And this one's actually uh, written by the CEO at Microsoft. So this was a book that they handed out to us when we went to orientation and, you know, not trying to promote Microsoft at all. Uh, but it's actually a really great book, uh, but it's called hit refresh, the quest to rediscover Microsoft's soul and imagine a better future for everyone. I particularly recommend it to those of you out there who feel like, uh, the culture at your company is just terrible and it's like a runaway train. You can't, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Um, I don't know. It's got some really, uh, good stuff in there, uh, particularly for those who like kind of follow the uh, growth mindset type of mentality. Um, I highly recommend that book as well. So I'm going to stop there uh, and recommend some more next time, but uh, check those books out. We'll put the links into our show notes for those two. Cool. Cool. Um, so I will go next. Uh, I have been really focused on a, a couple things conference wise. Uh, and I wanted to let people know they're coming up. One is admission conf. Uh, if you are a conference organizer, or have been involved in conference organization in the past, Missions Comp is kind of all about that. It's put together by our friends over at Tito, which is ticket selling software. And they decided they would put a conference together with all the best organizers. It's in Chicago in a couple of months. Uh, and we'll have the, uh, the, the link down there in the show notes. But for now, it's 2018.admissionconf.com. So pretty cool. Also, I'm throwing a thing in Buffalo called Code Days, codedays.me. It's coming up real soon. Tickets are still available, but won't be forever. Uh, anything you ever want to know about development, design, DevOps, and how awesome Buffalo is as a city, you should go there. Mary knows she's a former former Code Days speaker, a Code Days That's alum, true. if you will. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Definitely, definitely one of the coolest like uh, regional events that I have been to in a long time. Uh, really, really strong community, which you would expect as PJ brings communities together. So. And as was recently pointed out, we have the best pizza in the world. 
uh, is voted on by Forbes magazine. There's this guy who's been writing about pizza for 10 years. And he said, I always come back to Buffalo because they honestly have the best. And I'm like, that's right. Of course it does. It's a strong statement. Um, and the last, last thing I have to message, mention isn't a conference, but uh, and you, on the pizza statement, come to Buffalo. I'll take you out for pizza. You can fight me on it. We'll see how it goes. Um, Elton Brown, I'm looking at you. Um, but uh, on the, the last thing, there's this great tool out there called codepilot.ai. Um, I thought of it when Lorna was talking about Googling for content and then looking on your own blog. So what this tool does is it's, it's kind of the idea that you know you've written a piece of code or you've seen a piece of code somewhere before. Um, so you, you go to CodePilot and it searches your local code repositories, it searches Stack Overflow, it searches GitHub, kind of all over the internet just to find out what's going on. And it's, it's an amazing, amazingly helpful tool. Because instead of you going to all those sites all the time, you just have to go to one place and it does it for you. So CodePilot.ai, check that out and tell them PJ sent you. Lorna, do you have any checkouts for us? Oh, this is a really hard question. Um, just, I changed jobs and um, just the stress that comes with that means that at, at six weeks in to the new job, I guess I'll mention Nexmo because they were kind enough to give me a job, which is, I think is very generous and open-minded of them. Um, <laughs> just with all that going on, actually there's not a lot else going on in my life also it's summer here so the kids are out they're not my kids but i'm uh helping out with childcare and extended family so um that's um yeah life is simple so just getting a veg box and trying to cook with all the things i only had to phone my mum and ask her what one thing was this time um, so I'm getting better at identifying the things in my veg box. So that's that's one of the reasons why I don't get them anymore is because so often the box shows up on my doorstep and I don't know what half of them are and I don't know how to use them. The you problem. She'll help you. <laughs> so Lorna's mom is going up on the checkout. Yeah, she's the checkout. It's just going to be resource. her phone number. <laughs> yeah. Give Not her sure about your veg. Describe um, the vegetables. Uh, she will know and then she'll tell you how to cook it. Sounds That's like a business hard. opportunity right there. Seriously. <laughs> should monetize my mother. Moving on swiftly. Um, <laughs> I guess the only thing I'm, do I'm reading at the moment, which I'd, I'd like to recommend, is I've, I've started reading The Paper Menagerie, which I'll find you a link to. Um, and the reason I'm reading that is because it's short stories. I find it really hard to read a whole book in my day-to-day -day life. So things that are bite-sized chunks, I mean, that I don't read until 2 o'clock in the morning because the story's too good. Um, I write on my street. I don't understand all the stories in the paper menagerie, and that's why I like it. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, I think that's it for today, but as always, this has given us a lot more content and a lot more topics to explore for future episodes, so I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, if we have the opportunity, we would love to have you back. Well, that um, would be wonderful. This has been a pleasure. Oh, we're glad you enjoyed it. Um, so I think that's it for episode 27. So thanks to everybody for listening in, uh, check out the show notes for all the information we've shared with you. Uh, check out communitypulse.io for further episodes. Uh, we are available pretty much wherever your podcasts are not sold, but given away. Um, cause they're free. Uh, if you have ideas for future episodes or if you're interested in becoming a guest, please feel free to email us at Mary or Jason or PJ at communitypulse.io and we're happy to chat about it. Uh, for now, I'm PJ. You can find me as at Asplenic on Twitter. I'm Mary. You can find me at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. 
And I'm Jason Hand, and I'm at Jason Hand on Twitter. All right. Thanks, everybody. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.